Amen. Always a special time when we can worship the Lord together. Amen. Hey, I'm going to ask you to remain standing if you're able as we read our scripture. Lesson today is found in Judges chapter number three. We're going to read verses five through 11. The word of God to the people of God. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters. And Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons. And the Israelites served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God. And they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel. And he turned them over to King Cushan Rishasaim of Aran Naharaim. And the Israelites served Cushan Rishathaim for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othaniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othaniel victory over him. In verse 11, so there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othaniel, son of Kenaz, died. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good people. Happy Sunday. It's good to be back. I'm excited to be in your presence today. Thank you so much for being here. If you're new with us today, thank you for choosing us. A special welcome to you. My name is Rodney. I'm the Matthews pastor. And we're continuing today in our sermon series on the book of Judges. Special thanks to Pastor Travis for preaching God's truth to us last week. Before we dive into the message today, I do want to share a bit of family news that we're excited about. We have child dedications happening today. You can feel free to celebrate that. Yeah, yeah. Child dedications happening today after the 11 a.m. service. That's always an exciting time in our church. In fact, ministry to our kiddos, our children, next gen, as a whole is something that we're excited about. Why? Because it's critical for us in fulfilling our mission to help people find and follow Jesus. But with that, I do want to encourage you, if God has been nudging you um, to say yes, to volunteer, helping our next-gen teams out, I do want you to prayerfully consider stepping into that, whether it's with our babies or with high school or anything in between. Your help is needed and necessary. To do that, you could just fill out the connect card. Might be in a seat back somewhere in front of you. You can put your name, email, and next gen on that, or you can simply go to connection point and let one of our team members know. Amen? Amen. Before we dive into the message, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for this space of grace. Today is a day that we've never seen before and a day that we'll never see again. Help us to be the best that we can be right now in this moment. Can't do anything but apologize to you for where we may have missed it on yesterday. For that, we say we're sorry. But you woke us up today, God, with a fresh breath, new grace, new mercies. And we declare, Jesus, that you are the authority in this space. Move up and down these aisles. Move in and out of our hearts. Do whatever you got to do, but get the glory in this place. And in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. So as we begin, or pick up rather, with where we left off, uh, I want to start by uh, highlighting a holy tension, a holy tension that we see here um, happening in the book of Judges. Now, in this long double introduction that we went through over the last couple of weeks, the narrator is showing us that the Israelites failed to drive out the idols from the promised land. 
And in doing so, they invited God to live among the idols. Now, remember, we talked about the fact that the purpose of God telling them to draft out the inhabitants of the land was spiritual, right? It wasn't economical or it wasn't uh, about anything else but preserving a land where the people of God can serve and honor God. And throughout this book of Judges, we see this holy tension between God's commands the people not being faithful to follow God's commands. We've been talking about this cycle that we see the people rebel against God. God is angry. God sends opposition. The people cry out. God sends a judge. There's peace, and then there's death. So we see this tension between God's commands and then God's grace. In spite of what we see happening in the people, through the people, God continues to be faithful to them. And God drives out or delivers his people because of his faithful promise and his unfailing love. And so God allows his people, just like he does with us, he allows them to experience the consequence of their choices. Remember in week one, I said that no compromise is without consequence. But God allows those consequences only for the purpose of causing them to turn back to him. And that's important. God never cast off his people, but he graciously works for their faithfulness. And with that, our bottom line today is simple. It's God doesn't want to pay us back. He wants to bring us back. God doesn't want to pay us back. He wants to bring us back to him. And in this way, the book of Judges is a picture of the gospel to us. Now, I need you to remember that. In all the ups and downs and the roller coasters, we'll see. All of the unfaithfulness of the people, we'll see that it is a picture of the gospel to us. And so today, we'll look at two case studies, two episodes, if you will, of this tension or the cycle at work in the life of Israel. And our first two, well, actually three, Judges that are mentioned in, in Judges chapter 3, are found here, and we'll look at them today. Uh, but as a segue to set this up, anybody remember the movie that came out in the 90s called Twins? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember this? Anybody remember that movie? For those of you that may not, it's, it's a movie about Danny DeVito, who's the shorter guy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's the taller guy. They star in this movie, and they're twins. They're twins. And so the premise is that Arnold, the taller guy, got all of the quote-unquote good DNA, and Danny, the not-so-good DNA. Now, can you imagine raising these two together? They're opposites, right? Can you imagine that? Now, the twist comes at the end of the story. Twist comes at the end of the story. They're both used for good, and surprisingly, Danny DeVito, the shorter guy, is the big hero of the movie. Now, anytime I see or think about twins, I think about my brother and I. As many of you know, I am uh, an identical twin. My brother's name is Courtney. He lives here in the Charlotte area. But one of the things that I think is cool um, is as much as we're alike, we're identical twins, we're different in a lot of ways. And so we had this real cool moment a few years ago um, where we thought about the fact that we're both coaches, right? This is him uh, on, the, on the left. He's a football coach, and that's me on the right in Atlanta um, uh, doing, a, doing my life coach thing. And so we had this cool epiphany a few years ago that though – we're different in a lot of ways. God uses us both to advance his kingdom, right? And so we'll see this today. Our first two judges that we're going to look at, they seem like opposites. One has a pedigree. One has a pedigree. The other has an impairment. One is an insider. The other is an outsider. But in the end, God uses them both. 
And you can argue as we look at this that, that the outsider is an even more vivid picture of who Jesus is. And in some ways, the first two judges remind us of two things that the gospel does for us. Two things that the gospel does for us. The first is if we feel like we have a pedigree, right? If we feel like we have a pedigree, if we feel like we deserve certain things, right? We, we, we tend to get in these spaces where we feel entitled and we're prideful. If that's us, then the cross, it humbles us. It humbles us because the closer we draw to God, we realize that we're not so perfect. And we realize that Jesus willingly did for us and for others what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so we'll see this pedigree as we look at the first judge today. The second thing that we'll see that this text reminds us of what Jesus does is if we feel broken and undeserving, if we feel unlovable, the cross reminds us that the truth is that we are loved and that Jesus thought that we were worthy of his sacrifice. And we'll see that in the second judge that we look at today, I wonder which one of those resonates the most with you. I wonder where you find yourself today, whether you feel like you got a pedigree and you, you feel entitled or you feel like you deserve some things, or maybe there's somebody in the room that feels unlovable. You feel like you don't deserve or you're not worthy of God's love. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, he says, I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. I'm so loved that Jesus gladly died for me. I love that quote, but here's the truth. The cross speaks to both. No matter where we find ourselves today, the cross speaks to exactly where we find ourselves. And so let's dive into our text here. Let's look at Judges chapter number three, verse number seven. It says this, the Israelites did evil in God's sight and they forgot about the Lord their God and they served the images of Baal and the ash for poles. They forgot. They forgot about their God. Now, I want to show you this because it's not an intellectual forgetting. I want to show you this. This jumped out to me, and I, it, it made me realize how much I'm like this. But, but what I want to clarify to us is to say that they forgot simply means that they were no longer controlled by what they knew. It means that they were no longer controlled by what they knew. There were things that they knew about God that they no longer allowed to control them. This is why, if you remember, the scripture calls us to remember to remember the Lord our God. In 2 Peter, Peter says, the answer is not to try harder, but it's to remind ourselves of the truth. That's why he writes this, I will remind you always of these things, even though you know them. I'm gonna remind you. I say this all the time. I don't know about you, but I need every reminder of God's goodness, his grace, his love, and his mercy that I can get. I need all the reminders that I can get. We live in a world that is contrary to the God that we serve. That's so why 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls the enemy the God of this world. And so for Christians, a failure to obey is always a failure to remember. I shared this before. I had a bishop that used to always mentor me, and he used to always say, to know and not to do is yet to know. Huh? He used to always say that, to know and not to do is yet to know. In other words, if, if you think you know it and you're not doing it, then maybe you don't know it. And we used to always have these conversations. And every time Bishop would say something to me, he'd say, what I say? Repeat back to me. <laughs> Repeat back to me what I said. Side note, he, he challenged me one day to memorize the, uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians. He said, I want you to memorize the whole book with me. I, I, I've, I've done it. Can you do it? <laughs> I want to say, Bishop, to know and not to do is yet to, <laughs> is yet to know. 
So verse 8 of our text here says that, that God turns them over. This is what God does with this tension. This is what a faithful God does. He turns them over, verse 8 says, to their enemy, and they live under his evil oppression for eight years. He turns them over to their consequence. And so with that, let's meet our first judge, Athaniel. Let's look at Judges chapter 3, verse number 9. It says, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord, because he's faithful, he raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othaniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. Now, I want you to understand with this, this is how God brings revival, not just in our text, but in our hearts. This is how God brings revival. There are several times that you and I have been unfaithful to a faithful God, yet he still loves us, he still pursues us, and he still sends revival to our hearts. Let's look at how he does this. He does this by sending our first judge, Othaniel. He sends, he sends Othaniel. I love this. It says, now, what we don't know about this first judge, what we, we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know is his name means God is my strength. God has helped me. Othaniel is a, a wholehearted disciple. If you've been tracking with us, you've been reading, we first, we first meet him in Judges chapter 1, verse 13, in Caleb's narrative. This is where we first meet him. So we know by what we read in Judges chapter 1 that he comes from a faithful family. He comes from Caleb's family. And the narrator uses this picture of faithfulness in Judges chapter 1. So by inference, Othaniel is Caleb's protege. And so most likely, Caleb mentors him in bravery, courage, and in his faithful calling. And coincidentally, Othaniel is the only man in the book of Judges whose life is recounted as someone with no explicit flaws. He has that pedigree. He has that pedigree. Look at verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, came upon Othaniel, came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He became Israel's judge. So in response to the people's rebellion, in response to their rebellion, we'll see God sends three things. He sends trouble that is a consequence of their compromise. He sends leadership in his judge, and then he sends his spirit. He sends his spirit. Now, this mirrors what happens in the book of Acts. For my Bible scholars, it mirrors what happens in the book of Acts. But verse 11 says that as a result of this, peace comes for 40 years. Due to Othaniel, due to his leadership, peace comes for 40 years. But as we see, we've been talking about this cycle. Peace is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the cycle. Death is. Because, because Othaniel dies. And guess what the people do? They get back on the roller coaster again. First judge that God sends is there as a rescuer for them. He leads the people, and there's peace for 40 years, but then he dies, and then the cycle starts all over again. If only we had a righteous judge that would never die. If only there was a righteous judge that would never die. So what happens in the, in, in the rest of this part of the story in verses 12 through 14, once again, the people do evil in the sight of the Lord. They forget about God. And God gives them over as a consequence, right, of their compromise. God gives them over to King Eglon of Moab because of their evil. And so King Eglon, he brought some of his friends and he took the city of Jericho and he made the Israelites serve them for 18 years. 
So we see the first time was eight years. Now we see that they are subject to these people as a consequence now for 18 years. 18 years. And so because, because God is faithful, he rescues the people again. And here comes the second judge, Ehud. We see his story in chapter 3, verses 15 through 30. Let's look at verse 15. It says, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. Now, this is, this is, a, this is an interesting story. Right? I, want you to, I want you to read this for yourself if you haven't. It's a very interesting story. What's most known about Ehud is what? He's left-handed. It's what's most known about him. Now, he's a surprising choice, yet he's God's choice. Because if you read the story, we don't see the pedigree like we see in the first judge. We see someone who's outside the lines, right? Arthur Neal was a typical leadership type. He was typical. He was a warrior from a faithful family. He was from the tribe of Judah. But Ehud was known by his physical impairment. And he was considered ineffective. See, being left-handed then wasn't, wasn't common like it was today. Wasn't common like it was. So he was, he was considered ineffective. In fact, no one would have looked up to him or even chosen him as their rescuer. But God did. God did. How many left-handed folks we got in the room? Any outsiders in the room? Yeah, bless God for you. My, my wife, Jacqueline, is left-handed. But, but, but what's interesting to me about this text is we all have some left-handedness in us. We all have some left-handedness in us, some, some things that we would consider an, an impairment. I wonder where you're left-handed. I wonder where you're left-handed. Because we all have it, right? We all have an, an, an area in us that, 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 that maybe we're discouraged about, that we're not as happy about. I have to push through that every Sunday to get up here. Every Sunday, I got to push through my left-handedness. But I've learned that that's the very thing that God wants to use. And we see that happening in our text here. Because what we know when we walk with God long enough is he doesn't always work through the normal methods, does he? And so in this text, we learn to expect the unexpected. Because God is doing something that nobody expects. Nobody expects a left-handed rescuer to come. We'll see this as we look at the rest of the story because the account of Ehud in Judges chapter 15, is considered a literary masterpiece. It's considered a literary masterpiece. It has irony, wordplay, innuendos, and it has memorable details. But in the background of it all, in spite of the people's unfaithfulness, God is working to bring his people back to him. Remember, God doesn't want to pay us back. He wants to what? Bring us back. And so what happens in Ehud's story in 15 through 30, is he goes to pay this tribute tax to the king on behalf of Israel. And it's probably that tribute tax that has made the king obese and unconcerned. You read the text, it says that he's fat. He's overweight. And so because Ehud is left-handed, he's not screened the way other people would have been screened. Because men in those days, they wore their sword on their left thigh, not their right. Most of them were right-handed, so they would take the sword from their left side. But Ehud is left-handed. 
So his sword was on his right side, not his left. And so the king thinks so little of him because he's left-handed, he doesn't even perceive him as a threat. This is why the king gives him private audience. If you read the text, this is why the king says, you can come in by yourself. The king sends everybody else out, gives them private audience. And so as the story goes on, Ehud takes his sword out and plunges it deep within Eglon's side. And the scripture says, his fat swallowed up the sword. His fat swallowed up the sword. And then Ehud escapes and rallies the people to battle, defeating Eglon and winning peace for them for 80 years. 80 years. 80 years. There's another funny part of the story. His, his guards, Eglon's guards are standing outside of the door, and they begin to smell because his Bible says that his bowels began to spill out. So they think he's using the bathroom so they don't go in because of the smell. <laughs> But God is working through all of this. God is working through it all. And Ehud points us to the most unexpected deliverer of all. Another quote-unquote left-handed person that people had no regard for. This is why they missed Jesus when he came. Because he came in a way that they were not expecting. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were looking for him, waiting for him. But when he came, they missed him. I wonder where we're missing God in our lives. I wonder where we're missing him because he's coming in unexpected ways. The blessing, the package was presented in a way that nobody expected. And they missed the Messiah. See, Othaniel had an army. Ehud didn't. He went in by himself. Just like Jesus. This is what Isaiah had to say about Jesus. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire of him. There was nothing in his appearance. He was despised and rejected by men. The promise they were waiting on. I submit to you that I believe that there's people in this room that are waiting on something from God. And the reason we don't see it, we haven't recognized it, is because we need a fresh perspective. We need a fresh perspective of what God is doing. And so what we see in this text is God is working in unexpected ways. And so Ehud achieved victory alone on behalf of the people, but he wasn't helped by them. Same thing with Jesus, because like Ehud, he was crushed. He crushed his people, his enemies, through his own weakness. Sometimes it's the things that, that we despise about ourselves, our weak areas that God wants to use for the good of his people and for his glory. But I love what Paul says about Jesus in 2 Timothy, verse number eight. This is what he says. He says, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, don't miss that. He said, the Lord is a righteous judge. He will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Why is it important that we remember that the Lord is a righteous judge? Because for many of us, we're bound by what people say about us. We're bound by how people judge us. And for some of us, we're bound by what, how we judge ourselves. We're bound by how we judge ourselves. But I need you to know that, that the Lord is a righteous judge. And we need to begin to see ourselves the way he sees us. Holy, just, righteous in him. 
And those things that, that you despise about yourself, those things that, you, that you're disappointed about, maybe that's the thing that God wants to use. So before I go, I want to give you some points to ponder as a result of what we talked about today. The first is this. It's a quote by Rick Warren. It says, in God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. In God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. I know you're broken, because so am I. But that's not going to stop God from using you for his glory and for his kingdom. Because in God's garden, not the world's garden, in God's garden, even broken people like you and me, we can bear fruit. We can be used mightily for the kingdom of God. And maybe the thing that you see as an impairment is the, the, the exact thing that God wants to use. Maybe you don't like the way you parent. You struggle with that. Maybe that's what God wants to use. Maybe you've been through a divorce and, you're, and you feel some shame around that. Maybe that's what God wants to use. I'm living proof that if you're willing... God will use even your flaws. The second thing I want you to know by way of a point to ponder is I need you to remember that remembering God is more about relationship than it is rules. It's more about a relationship. I don't want you to get caught up in what you didn't do or what you did do. Don't hear me wrong. God's commands are important and they should be followed. But how we follow them is important. How we follow them. We need to follow them by faith and through trust in the living God, through a relationship with him. You hear me say this all the time. The burden of righteousness is not yours. He died for that. We can't handle that. What we need to focus on is just keeping our hand in his and walking with him in relationship. That's what we need to focus on. I mentioned that forgetting God is simply simply means not being controlled by what we know. So while many of us know many things about God, all of us can grow in the area of being controlled by what we know. My therapist said to me not too long ago, he said, until it becomes a habit, you should put it on your calendar. In other words, until it becomes a part of your character, it should be on your calendar. In other words, we need a rhythm of remembrance. We need a rhythm of remembrance. We have one corporately, we call it communion. Get together and we remember God, but what about individually? What practices do you have in place to help you remember God? Now I wanna be clear, I'm not promoting efforts and works, I'm trying to provoke remembrance. My opinion that the reason we forget about God is because we're too busy serving something or someone else. It's called idolatry. Things ahead of God. In what ways can you prioritize God this week? I don't know what it is for you. But I need you to think about that. In what ways can you prioritize God this week? Went to a conference in D.C. last week. 
and the pastor that was preaching, he said, with every promise of God, there are principles that will carry us to it if we would just adhere to them. With every promise of God, there are principles in Scripture that would carry us to it if we adhere to it. The problem is we forgot about God. So I want to challenge you to think through ways that you can prioritize God this week. The truth is, we're all a product of our choices, right? Good, bad, or otherwise. And God allows that. He allows that. We saw it in the text. But I need you to know, and I need you to be encouraged, that as God does that, his motive is not to pay us back. His motive is to bring us back. Amen? To God be the glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for this space of grace today. Thank you that in spite of our ups and downs, in spite of our inconsistencies, you are faithful, you are loving. And your motive is always to bring us back to you. So God, we're grateful today that in spite of how we may feel about ourselves, in spite of the things that we may be discouraged about. You still love us. So we pray that you would help us to see our impairments the way you see them. We pray, God, that you would help us to understand that your motive is never to pay us back, but to bring us back. And that everything you do is a demonstration of your love towards us. So I pray for the brother or sister on my left and the brother or sister on my right, that you would encourage their hearts this week as they shift some things in their lives to prioritize you. And I pray God that as we prioritize you, our perspective would change. that we would see life through the lens of your love rather than through our shortcomings. And that from that, we would have the courage and the boldness to live our lives in a way that reflects your glory for the good of others, to the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.